The Federal Communications Commission has established a task force to deal with privacy and data protection, noting what it calls the era of always-on connectivity. Here with the details, the chief of the FCC's Enforcement Bureau, Loyan Egal. Mr. Egal, good to have you with us. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be on. Let's begin with what this task force is actually going to do, and then I want to ask whose data that we're talking about. But tell us about the task force. Who's on it? Where do they come from? And what are you going to do? Yeah, so as uh, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel announced in June, the task force, the Privacy and Data Protection Task Force, is a whole of FCC effort, an entire agency effort. It's led by the Enforcement Bureau, which, which I oversee, but it includes all of the various bureaus and offices that we have in the commission. And to run through some of those, those include the Public Safety and Homeland Security Bureau, the Wireline Competition Bureau, the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau, the Space Bureau, the Media Bureau. And then we have other offices, such as the Office of the General Counsel, the Office of International Affairs, the Office of Engineering and Technology, and the Office of Economics and Analytics. So all of those different bureaus and offices come together to make up this task force. And with respect to data privacy, I presume you mean consumers' data that are using services where there is data collected. When someone's listening to a broadcast, there's no data involved because your radio is picking out something on the antenna. But cable and all of the streaming services, you've got kind of a chain of carriers and wireline providers and content providers, and they all have data on consumers? Is that context we're talking about? Yeah. So I think the one that probably resonates with most people are, are cellular phones. Your mobile phone, which, you know, I think Pew Research uh, Center put a stat out that said about 97% of Americans now have cellular phones with about 85% of those involving smartphones. So when you just think about the amount of information that you carry in your pocket with regards to when you access your email accounts, your bank accounts, Uh, social media, when you talk on the phone, that's just a voluminous amount of data that's being collected on that platform. But as you also mentioned, there's data that's collected and services provided for uh, satellite services, as well as cable services, and and the FCC regulates all of those. And with respect to, say, getting back to that cell phone data, there are a lot of offers of cell and data services, but is it fair to say, fundamentally, there are only three or four basic carriers that actually operate the radio services that carry this service. And there are resellers that then sublet from Verizon or AT&T. And so the supply chain gets a little bit complicated in that manner. Yeah. So so not to get too technical, but to your point, there are a handful or even maybe a little less than a handful of major carriers that are what you call facilities-based providers, right? The the, the carriers that own the networks and the hardware that all of our communications travel through. And on top of those networks, you have other companies that use those networks in business relationships with the, with the major carriers to provide your cellular service. So you may be subscribed to a specific cell phone provider, but that cell phone provider may be using another cell phone company's network. Right. So you've really got two companies then to deal with in terms of data and privacy. Correct. Now, as a consumer, your relationship is with the company that you signed on with. Uh, but to your point, the data that's traversing those networks uh, is is going beyond just the company that you're subscribed to. And so is the FCC with all of the supply chain and, again, people that you know provide content, they know what you're watching and all this kind of thing. 
concerned with how those companies protect that data from breaches or how they use it for ways that maybe they shouldn't. You know, the Facebook type of model where it turns out they were using data for reasons they shouldn't have, so far as we can tell, or, or both. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're looking at it holistically. We're looking at privacy. So what are the companies that are regulated by the FCC doing with the information that they have as a as a result of the business relationship they have with you, the consumer. And, you know, back in 2020, the uh, FCC brought forth enforcement actions against the major then four carriers, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, and then Sprint before the T-Mobile Sprint merger about how those companies were using location data, right? The, the information that, you know, shows where your phone is when you're using it, things of that nature. So, so that went to the privacy aspect of, of things, and that's an example of where we look at with regards to privacy. With regards to data protection, we look at how do those companies that are regulated by the FCC protect that sensitive information. And then the third prong of it is cybersecurity, right? We look at the networks that that sensitive information is housed on to see our, how are they protecting the networks that, protect, that, that, ha- that house the sensitive data. So those are three separate disciplines that many times have significant overlap. We're speaking with Loyan Egal. He is chief of the Enforcement Bureau at the Federal Communications Commission. And the fact of this task force then presupposes there are statutes and regulations that apply to these supply chain participants in communications that you want to step up enforcement of or you get the sense that somehow it needs to be heated up a little bit under them to make sure that everyone does what they're supposed to? You know, before I... I came into my position as the, as the chief of the Enforcement Bureau. Uh, I'd spent the last four years before that working in the uh, national security space at the Department of Justice in the interagency group known as Team Telecom. And in there, we were looking at, you know, potential risk brought on by foreign investment, foreign participation in the U.S. telecommunications sector. A lot of that, those same concerns come to this space, right? Even, even we look at... Um, you know, companies that might not have a significant foreign investment aspect to them, they still have global supply chains. In other words, they may use third-party vendors to provide services to you, the consumer. And in many, many instances, those are services that people want and like. Um, but what we look at is how are those companies that, that you've trusted with your information, with your sensitive data, how are they then making sure down the supply chain that the other companies are protecting that information. And so the task force is looking at that from a rulemaking perspective. Are there things that the commission can do? Because the FCC, in addition to having enforcement authorities, is a rulemaking agency. We're looking at public awareness, reaching out to people to let them know that these are areas that we're focused on. And then we're also looking at it from an enforcement standpoint. How can we enforce the rules and the statutes for instance, there's what's known as the CPNI statute. That's the Customer Proprietary Network Information. And that is the information that telephone carriers collect about your account, right? The, what type of account do you have? How many lines? Where you're located? That information, there are specific statutes and regulations that, that address that. So we're looking at it holistically. And it sounds like there could be some fresh rulemaking at the end of the task force, or is there an endpoint to the task force? You know, I, I feel like uh, this is a uh, what you would call recession-proof uh, industry. Unfortunately, you know, just there's an old adage from a from a famous bank robber named Willie Sutton back in the 1930s 
who was uh, reportedly asked, why did he rob banks? And he said, because that's where the money is. Fast forward 90 years later, you know, why are telecommunications and communication services companies high value targets? Because that's where the data is. And so I think we're going to continue to, to, to be working towards addressing that from a regulatory standpoint and an enforcement standpoint. And is this entirely an FCC affair, or do you have other federal state agencies you might be working with that have impinging on this uh, whole topic? Yeah, we're working. We're using the model that we use for uh, the work that we've done on robocalls and robotechs, where we entered into a number of memorandums of understanding with state attorney generals across the United States. And we're going to use that same model for the Privacy and and Data Protection Task Force. We're going to work with partners at the state attorneys general offices throughout the country to bring forth a state-federal approach. We're also working with international partners, other regulators overseas who regulate these industries to understand what they're seeing and best practices. So, uh, again, federal, state local, international. We're hoping to work across the board. Loyan Egal is chief of the Enforcement Bureau with the Federal Communications Commission. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. 
Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Um, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They're the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not just nice to have. We rely on them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice, you can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right. When I'm standing there and I feel this, and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative, it's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, d- d- describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that, believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed 
in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.